and I just told him, verbally told him, that I truly, I forgive you, and uh, I'm sorry for what you're going through. Now, two things happened there. It wasn't an immediate forgiveness. It's all done. Right. I exuded the forgiveness. It's a process. It was a process. But I realized at that moment that the forgiveness wasn't for my dad, even though I had to tell him, it was for me. That's Jason Romano talking about forgiving his alcoholic dad. And you'll hear more of his story today on Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. Okay, John, I have a challenge for the listeners today. Think of that person who has hurt you deeply. I mean, to the point where maybe you even haven't forgiven them yet. Um, It might be a parent, a sibling, a friend, a former spouse, maybe a work colleague. Now ask yourself this, have I truly extended forgiveness? Because that's on your side of the equation, has nothing really to do with them, the one who offended you. Forgiveness is complex, and we get that. It doesn't excuse abuse or harmful behavior, of course. But forgiving someone does mean that you'll let go of bitterness and leave revenge, I would say judgment, up Mm -hmm. to God. Um, Someone once said, forgiveness is surrendering my right to hurt you for hurting me. And I think that's a powerful way to sum it up, John. For us as Christians, uh, showing mercy to those who have harmed us can be one of the most beautiful ways to display God's amazing grace to a hurting world. That's the testimony of us as believers. And our guest today is a wonderful example of just that. I would agree, Jim. And uh, as I said, Jason Romano is our guest. He's an Emmy Award-winning sports journalist, a former ESPN producer. Uh, He's a husband and dad and has a book called Live to Forgive, Moving Forward When Those We Love Hurt Us. Jason, welcome to Focus on the Family. Guys, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I want to say good job on being a wonderful husband and, and father. But then I want to talk to you about being a sports journalist. <laughs> my two most important jobs. <laughs> but I jobs. want to get the order in, in I there appreciate you know, the that. way I need to. Thank you so but much. But that must have been pretty fun. To work at ESPN? Oh, yeah. Holy cow. It was, a, it was an amazing, amazing opportunity. Let me ask you this off-the-wall yeah. question. Sure. I mean, when it comes to us as believers, and we are in a sports-saturated environment. I love sports, too. I played in high school, played sure. baseball, football, basketball. Yeah. How do we, as believers, how do we peel back a little bit so it doesn't become an idol? You know, it's so hard, I think. <laughs> it is hard. It is so hard. And it, you're coming. You're talking to a guy who sports was my God for so many years. Even after I became a Christian, I became a Christian at 26, 27. I had to kind of learn in a slow way that sports really isn't that important to the grand scheme of life. But you know, sports is such a connection, Jason, especially between fathers and sons. And this was really your story. Yeah. And um, it was hard uh, for you. Uh, you had a pretty positive view of your dad until one night, I think you're at a football game or a baseball game. Uh, what happened? And I'm telling you, I so relate to your story because I think we had the same father, but yeah. hit it. It's probably uh, unfortunately type. common with yeah. a lot of people who are listening. Um, my dad and I, you know, my earliest memories of my dad, uh, you know, my parents got divorced when I was six. So I really didn't have a, a ton of memories of mom and dad being in the same house. I have really no memories of that. So it was always kind of like spend the weekend with dad and spend the week during the week with mom. But my dad loved sport, loved sports and loves sports. And I mean, he just, that's all we still talk about to this day. And so my memories of him are pretty much all revolved around sports, good and unfortunately bad. And uh, I write about it, first chapter in the book, I take you to 1984, and it's my first time ever going to an NFL game. Uh, it's the Eagles and the Giants. My dad is a- That's a good one. Diehard Giants fan. 
And as quickly as and as excited as I was to, for the game to start and so just really elated with joy, it turned sour really quickly because my dad, who had been drinking at that time and he was still in his, his early to mid-30s, um, he's getting his drinks in and getting his beer in and we're sitting in the 700 level with these Rabbit Eagles fans and he's a Giants fan. And probably halfway through the game, I just remember my dad suddenly getting into this verbal sparring and lots of bad words being said. And uh, I thought, this is not right. Some, I'm confused here. What's happening? You know, mm. why is this happening? And, uh, and my dad was unfortunately really intoxicated. And then we had to drive home. And it was the scariest four or five hour drive I've ever remember as a yeah. kid. Because he was drunk. He was drunk. Jason, one thing I caught in the book that really captured my attention, because as a little boy, you stopped calling your dad, dad, and started referring to him as Joe, his first name. Uh, but it's connected to this disappointment. Uh, explain why you did that and what protection was it providing little Jason? Hmm. Yeah, it was weird because there were times when I call him dad and there were times when I call him Joe. And I figured looking back, because it's funny, you remember things as you start to write a book and all these memories come back, you know, things I hadn't thought about in years. Right. And I was working with my co-author, Steve Copeland, and we were talking and working through it. And I'm like, I think I called him Joe more than I called him dad growing up. And then we were starting to expand on it. And I realized a lot of the times that I was calling him Joe was the times that he had been drunk or huh. done the things that would embarrass me. And I'm like, that's not my dad. That's just, that's Joe. That's not my dad. My dad is the guy who's sober and supportive and loving, which mm -hmm. I didn't get a lot of. And so I found myself calling him Joe a lot more than I called no, him No, I just dad. resonated with that. Again, yeah. having a similar father. I never did that, but I could understand the relief of doing that, that mm. this is not the guy I love. It wasn't. That's it the it other was weird guy. because especially being so young, you're confused. It wasn't until I was in my teenage years till I really started to see that this man had a problem. Something really was wrong and off. When I was yeah. 11, 10, uh, younger, it was more confusing than it was... Uh, yeah, is this normal? Is yeah, this what everybody does? Right. My mind's not able to process that on a mature level like you would when you start yeah. to get into a teenage years. But, you know, I even took that with me as I'm writing the book. There were moments where I called him dad, even into my 30s and early 40s. And there were moments when I write about him as Joe, even writing the book. So it was still kind yeah. of resonating I with connected me with that now at 45 years old. Where was God in this picture for you? I mean, obviously, I don't think your dad, maybe your stepmom or your mom had real commitments of faith. But did you sense God? Did you have a kind of a childlike belief that there must be a God? Or I grew up uh, in a Catholic household. But to be quite honest with you, I'd never heard or understood salvation, Jesus, faith, the cross, grace, none of that. I really had no religious anything in my life yeah. growing up. God was Did not that evolve for life. you then? That that knowledge, that awareness? Did not that... until I was twenty six years old. Okay. And it was my brother Chris, yeah. um, my middle brother, who was the first in our family to be saved and to begin a true relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, but after a few years and watching him live out this faith. Yeah. Truly live it out, not just every day. Hammer it home to me, but watching how he loved his wife, how he loved his newborn child, mm. how he loved his family. It was different, and it was attractive. And it wasn't until 2001 Mother's Day when he introduced me to Christ, and that's how the, the journey began for that's me so and my awesome. faith work. Yeah, you have a story, and this is really again, it caught my attention. You have a story where your feelings of hatred. So maybe it started with embarrassment. 
I mean, I can relate. Again, being embarrassed with your dad at that little league game when sure. he's drunk and yeah. slurring and talking to the ump, and he, I know, is thinking he's helping you while you're at bat, but you want to just crawl into a hole because you're so embarrassed. Absolutely. But then you talk about a day that you can remember that embarrassment turned into hatred for your father. Yeah. Describe that. Hatred is a, is such a, a you know I think of the word hate now and I and I <laughs> I hate the word hate I mean, it's just such a, a hard thing to think about but, but it's real it's very real and uh, as my dad got older um, there's a lot of moments where I discovered hatred for my father if you want to call it that um, you know him calling me in college and asking me for money. Um, when you off. were a college student. When I was in college. Remember, I don't have money. I'm in college. <laughs> no college student has money. And he's calling me and saying, hey, I'm behind on this or that. And I need to borrow a few dollars. And mm. completely wasted when he's calling. And then he calls and sort of the first time I ever heard him say that he wanted to end his life when I was in college. And I was so angry and bitter at him at 20 years old, not you know, empathetic and wanting to help him. I was just stopped at him. I'm so mad. I, can't, I hate my dad. But then a moment comes when I'm... I'm in my 24, 25 year old stage when he calls up and this is how bad it got for my dad. And he's, he's drunk and he calls me and he tells me that his wife, Patty had, had died in a fire and we loved Patty. She was our stepmom and so close. We hadn't seen her in a few years. And so we're all very sad and mm. he's crying. And then two or three days later, maybe a week later, he calls and he tells me he made up the whole story. Oh my goodness. He made up the whole story. And I, I said, why would you do that? And he said, listen, I, I don't know. I said, I'm so sorry. And it, it was just shows you the fact that he was so in such a bad place at this point. This is 1997 or 8, that he had to lie to try and get people to feel sorry for him. And then he had to come and tell us what happened, that he was lying about this whole thing. And that was a moment when I hung up the phone. I said to my wife, I said, I, I can't believe this guy. I really hate him. I said, how can he lie? about the death of his second wife. And there were more stories like this, unfortunately, mm -hmm. but it was a, a pure hatred for this guy that I had to work through myself. And this is pre-Christ for me. Yeah. So I had to figure out what that meant to, in essence, hate my dad. Mm -hmm. Jason, you have really set the table, and I think the listeners fully grasp that emotion inside of you, that hatred that had developed for your dad. And some are connecting with you saying, mm. yeah, yeah, that was my dad too. Mm. Whatever their situation, that, that overwhelming sense of, I just wish this person was not in my life because it's so destructive. Yeah. But then you begin to turn the corner. You start to, in your book, you say you started to feel, mm -hmm. which was the first step to forgiveness. Yeah. Help the person that hasn't put those two together. What did, what did it mean to help begin to feel? I think at that point, uh, you know, I call it feeling the pain is, is what we're trying to do. Um, acknowledging that there's pain. You know, a lot of us, when we're angry at someone, we try to just suppress it or um, put a big wall in front of it and it, pretend it's not there. And for me, that's what I did for many years. I mean, I, I talk about when I went away to college I looked at that as sort of a boundary for me to get away from my dad, you know, yeah. get away from all the garbage and crap that I was, you know, living through having him be close to me and around me in my life. When I started to feel the pain, I think it was probably around the time when I had gotten back from college and I I'd just met my now wife, Dawn, and, uh, you know, I'm having somebody to talk to. And I right. also went and got uh, some counseling early on. I didn't go through counseling as I got older. My counseling, I guess, was was with the Lord and with 
you know, uh, my pastor and put people like that. But I went to a counselor before I became a Christian. And I remember just bawling my eyes out and thinking, why am I crying right now over this? Yeah. I shouldn't be this mad. Like, I can't stand this guy. Why am I crying? And it's because I knew that I still cared about him. Mm-hmm. Well, it was my grief. There's grief. It yeah. was almost like a, a person who would cry when somebody passes. It was grief. Um, and it allowed me to begin the process of feeling and understanding that, okay, I have pain. It's not, it doesn't feel good, but it's there. Let's acknowledge it and not try to like push it away and ignore it because so many of us do that. And, and for me, that was really the first step in moving forward when I realized that eventually I had to come to a place to forgive him. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, meeting Don, and what an amazing stabilizer a spouse can be, because <laughs> so you do get that other perspective. And you know, I'm a big believer in the Christian relationship that your spouse completes you. Yeah. So your blind spots, they often will be able to see things differently from how you see them. Oh, she did. And, and be able to bring some reality, right? Oh, so true. And my my wife, um, you know, when we got married, we weren't. Neither of us were Christians, got married in the Catholic church, but again, didn't really have a faith or care about religion or God or anything like that, but we had each other. And uh, even our motto at our wedding was to become one. And so we, we didn't even realize when we were getting married that we were, you know, sort of living out the marriage in a biblical sense on the idea of two becoming one person, which is, which is right from the Bible. But having that person who came from a, a very strong mom and dad together, still together to this day relationship married over 50 years and have been together and not knowing what it was like to be around such brokenness in that realm and so she comes into my life and i write about this too in the book that i was almost scared to bring her into Into my crazy family mess you know embarrassing again oh my goodness don't look over here don yeah don't worry about that i just you and me you don't worry about my crazy dad and all the garbage that's going on and i remember the moment when she first saw the effect that my dad had on my life. And it was right before we were getting married and inviting my dad to my wedding. Like he had missed all of those big moments in my life when I graduated from high school, graduated from college. He missed them all. He was all, he was in rehabs or oh, wow. in binge mode or whatever, and just not doing well. And he missed all of those, what I call pillar moments in a young person's life. So I had no father to, to attend these things and celebrate with me. And so at my wedding, I really wanted to have him there. It's like, listen, he's missed everything else. Let's bring my dad to our wedding. And my wife was great. She's like, whatever you think is best, you know your dad, I'm all for it. So we invite my dad. And then like five days before, a week before, I get a call and he's wasted drunk. And I found out that he had been on a binge for five or six days of drinking. And I had to uninvite my dad to the wedding. So the one thing you were hoping awful. he could be there. Yeah. And wow. then my wife, again, was so great on supporting, but I knew that this is her day. Yeah. Even though it's our day, this is her day. This had to be the perfect day, November of 1999. And um, so we uninvited my dad and, and Dawn was greatly great and, and supportive, but there was a void there. Yeah. Everything was a perfect day. It's one of my favorite days in my life, but there was a void. Yeah. Let's uh, talk about the 12 uh, steps of forgiveness that you really go after in the book. And we only have time to cover a couple of them, but let's hit a couple that really are important. And then folks, you need to get a copy of the book. Um, What are some of those important things in that 12 steps of forgiveness? There's so many steps. Um, You know, I, I break the book down into feeling the pain, evaluating the trauma, transforming the wound, and 
living to forgive. And I think it's the transforming the wound one is not necessarily in part of the 12 steps, if you will, of that. But I think that's a big one because when we get a hold of who God is and understanding forgiveness that we ask for every single day, right? We, we come to God and we say, Lord, forgive me for the things I've said, the, the things I've done, the things I've thought. And then we don't turn around and exude forgiveness to others. We are literally putting a hand to God and saying, I got this. I don't need you. I think that was exactly his point with the woman caught in adultery, right? Yes. That was exactly exactly his point. Hand to the face. And so I think one of those steps, if you want to call it a step, is to understand what God's forgiveness is about, that he exudes it to us for free. All we got to do is ask. It's undeserving. We do nothing to earn it. And it's there every day over everything that we've ever done that he forgives us. And so it's like the old prayer I learned when I was a good Catholic boy, you know, the Our Father, uh, the Lord's Prayer, you know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's literally Jesus's words telling us this is what we need to do Mm -hmm. every day. Uh, It's not easy because that pain is real and we've been hurt. But the step, the process, the the move of understanding God and what his forgiveness is about, and then trying to do that to others, looking at people with an empathetic heart, looking at people in different ways, not through our lens, but through God's lens. I think that's one of the big steps to go forth with is just understanding the forgiveness aspect of who Christ is. And this kind of ties into the whole thing, how you did that with your father. Yeah. Which is the right place to land. How, How did that happened for you with your dad? It was a process. Um, as I like to tell people, forgiveness continues to be a process even after you sort of start that process. But my dad was in a really bad place about six years ago or so. His alcoholism and drinking continued, but he was compounding that with depression. And he had a lot of mental illness things going on in his life at that time. And when you put alcohol and mental illness or depression together it's a recipe for disaster in many ways right and so my dad is really in a bad state in the middle of 2013 and i get a call one day in june of 2013 from a nurse at a hospital in albany new york telling me that my dad had tried to end his life Mm -hmm. that he got to the point where he just didn't want to live anymore and he took a bunch of pills and um and tried to end it but I guess he got really scared because he immediately called 911 after he took those pills and the ambulance came, took him to the hospital and in essence saved him. Uh, But I get this call from this nurse and just to give you an idea, this is only six years ago, how bitter I still was about my dad. When I got the call from the nurse that he was in the hospital for this reason, there was no empathy on my part. I just said, really? I'm so sorry to hear that. Uh, And she's like, well, if you want to come and visit, you know, you can. I said, no. I, th- I said, thank you very much, but I, I think I'm, I'm okay. Thank That's you. That's a wounded person. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was so, I was so, yeah, I was wounded and I had no empathy for this man. Yeah. I had no sorrow. I had no, to be honest, I had no love in that way. Yeah. Uh, but over a week's period, and I remember going to a, a small group and my pastor was leading it, Pastor Joe, and I said to him, ironically, the same name as my dad. And I said, uh, I said, I'm not really knowing what to feel right now. And honestly, before this, I had pleaded and asked and told a lot of people about my dad's situation and asking for prayer. But I couldn't 
it's it's like I always thought, yeah, God can forgive you, Joe, but I can't. Right. You know, that's how I looked at it. And over the process of about a week, I started talking to my pastor and he just said, you need to read what Jesus talks about with forgiveness and how it doesn't matter what that person has done. It's about, it's about you and you've got a lot of wounds right now. And literally a week later, I get on the phone with my dad and I talk to him uh, at the hospital and he's broken and empty and lifeless and just sounds horrible, unlike any time I've ever talked to him in the past. And he's telling me at that point, he still doesn't want to live. I don't even know what I'm doing here. And I remember just at that moment, my heart opened and I had empathy for the first time in my life for this wow. man. And I just told him, verbally told him, Dad, I, Julie, I forgive you and uh, I'm sorry for what you're going through. Now, two things happened there. It wasn't an immediate forgiveness. It's all done. Right. I exuded the forgiveness. It's a process. It was a process. But I realized at that moment that the forgiveness wasn't for my dad, even though I had to tell him, it was for me. I was the one that was stuck in bondage. I was the one that had these sort of chains on me, keeping me down. And the clear evidence of that was when I got the call that he was in the hospital. I had no, no feeling at all. Yeah. There was no, I wasn't, I wasn't going to jump in the car and go visit my dad and help him and love him and be there for him like most people would. Like if my my wife calls me right now and says, she, you know, or somebody calls me and tells me my wife's in the hospital for whatever reason, I'm jumping in the car right, right. away. But that's a terribly wounded person that terribly responds wounded. that way, which I did with my dad as well. Yeah. So I totally get it. It's hard. But I finally, to the point where I told him that, and then it began the process of forgiveness and understanding Jesus and understanding that if I'm going to call myself a Christian here, and walk around and put this on social media and eventually like write books and things like that, then I need to be able to forgive. I yeah. can't hold grudges. Yeah. I can't. And this includes the most hurt wounds that I've ever experienced with my dad. I cannot hold a grudge there. And so it was a process, but at the point where I finally came to forgiving him, you know, it was six months, a year before really started to see, you know, a situation with my dad start to come back and focus. Now, the irony of this whole story is that from that day that my dad went into the hospital, he hasn't had a drink since. That's mm. that's incredible. Six and a half Six years and now, years. and he him. is sober. And it's yeah. it's a clear miracle from God. Now, my, da my dad does not have uh, the sort of relationship that I would hope that he would have with, with Jesus. Uh, I think he believes in God, but he's very still you know, struggles yeah. with that world a little bit. Well, we our... need to pray for him. We do. Yeah. I, I tell people, if you want to do anything for my dad, he's sober now, but he still needs prayer because yeah. he's not ready to fully submit his life to the Lord, but he cannot deny that there is a miracle that has taken place. Jason, that that's one of the sensitive things I want to mention here and highlight for the listener who may not have a deep or even a relationship with Jesus. This is exactly the profound nature of God yeah. and his character. For you to be able to make that turn, for you to feel empathy, that in my mind is the Spirit of God. These are the things that come from Him. Those are the characteristics of God in us as human beings that have His divine nature. Yeah. So we can overcomplicate this. It has to be a bolt of lightning. No, it's that moment when you feel for yeah. someone that you've hated all those years. That's the Spirit of God. Uh, Jason, it has been so good to hear your heart. I really do feel like we're brothers. Thank I'm you. your older brother, obviously, but <laughs> that's okay. I love connecting with that pain aspect yeah. of what you've expressed. I've lived it. I know it. And uh, I just there's an instant bond when you go through that kind of emotional warfare. 
So thank you for sharing. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It's been an honor. We trust that this conversation with Jason Romano has reminded you of the importance and the beauty of extending the forgiveness of Christ to those who have offended you. And uh, certainly we'll encourage you to take the steps you need to get to that healthy place of being a forgiving person. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller. Perhaps you've heard it before, but maybe you haven't, that forgiveness is not just for the person who wronged you, but it's for you. And Jason Romano's story is true evidence of that. It was at the point of saying, I forgive you to his father, that he experienced a radical change in his own life. That was a really moving testimony, and hopefully it stirred your heart to forgiveness if you're harboring bitterness and unforgiveness towards someone. Our recommended resource is a book by Deborah Pagay called Forgive, Let Go, and Live, which will empower you to find joy, freedom, and peace as you let go of your desire to avenge the wrong and make a commitment to release the offender from his debt. You'll find it at safamily.co.za or you can give us a call on 031-716-3300. And I want to remind you about the ongoing work we can do together to help families today. We live in a time of great uncertainty and many people are struggling. Focus on the Family is here to give these families hope. And you can help us do that by participating in the matching gift campaign we have going right now. Some Focus friends have agreed to match any donation you make to this ministry, and it's all in fun and to spur on more giving. So I invite you to be generous with your giving here at the end of the tax year. It's a great opportunity. I hope we can count on you for your support. Details on how to make a donation can be found on our website at safamily.co.za, or please feel free to give us a call. For Focus on the Family Africa, I'm Graham Schnell inviting you to join us next time when we'll, as always, help you and your family thrive in Christ.